temptation. Or like Saul, the Lord may be calling you to eradicate something this weekend. Don't take it back down the hill with you guys. King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, that, that part of your flesh that the Lord's trying to set you free from because he knows it's going to be a perpetual enemy that's going to come back to get you later, just like Agag brought forth offspring that later would be the demise of King Saul and actually take his life. Heed, heed the warning, guys. Get ready for battle. Get ready for attack. So I talked about how pride oftentimes, uh, our pride of, of thinking we can handle more than we can, or perhaps the pride of not dealing with the things that God has called us to deal with, allowing sin to remain, thinking it's not a big deal, that can be our downfall. But the other swing of the pendulum, you see, when we go through a victory, we can either feel one of two things, feel like, wow, I'm doing great, I'm invincible, or have you guys experienced this other swing of the pendulum where you come off a, a victory and then there's this massive letdown? It's like, you, it's like coming off of a high sometimes. You've had this spiritual victory. You've had this big moment. You've been away with the men all weekend at muster. And you're so full of the Lord. And like, wow, I'm experiencing freedom and joy and peace. And I'm filled up. And then you get back down the mountain. And you're like, oh, man, this, this feels so empty. Uh, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just missing something. Or, or you can just get overwhelmed by perhaps you go home. And you start sharing with your family. If you're married, you go home, you start sharing with your wife, honey, this is what God showed me. This is, these are some changes we're going to make. And perhaps the Lord hasn't taken her through the same journey that he's taken you through this weekend. So you need to be prayerful and you need to be considerate. You need to be gentle, guys. Live with your wives, the Bible says, in an understanding way. And understand that she, she didn't experience all that you did this weekend. So before you go home, guns are blazing. Honey, this is what we're doing. We're changing everything up. And, you know, we're getting rid of this and, you know, and that. And we're rearranging our life. Uh, prayerfully consider sharing with her what the Lord did in you first. And then say, man, these are some of the things that I think God wants us to change. Are you with me? Can we pray through these things together? You want her on your side. Amen. You want her on board. And a good leader will do that. Will will be winsome, I believe, to those that they're called to lead. And that includes your family. It absolutely includes your wife. So, um, But you can be discouraged because you realize you go home, I'm ready to make these changes, and maybe your wife's not. Maybe your kids aren't excited about doing family devotions instead of playing video games. You know, they want to do Fortnite and Call of Duty and all that stuff, right? And, they're, and you're saying, hey, I, I feel that we're supposed to spend some time around the table reading the scriptures. The kids are, oh, man. And you can get hit with this wave of defeat and discouragement. And the enemy will capitalize on that just as much as he does on our pride post-victory. He will capitalize on that discouragement and feeling that sense of defeat after a victory, guys. So beware of that discouragement. I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Just like we looked at David and Saul this morning, I want to look at a couple guys in the Old Testament first and then the New Testament later that experienced great discouragement after great victory. And the first man that experienced this I want to talk about is Elijah the prophet. There in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're not going to read through this chapter. We'll get into 19 a little bit, but you guys know the story. There Elijah is. 
He's serving the Lord. He's a prophet of the Lord God. And wicked King Ahab, who was reigning over Israel at that time, had filled the land with idolatry, with idol worship and all sorts of other gods. They were worshiping the Baals, these other false gods of the land. And Elijah is there with up against 400 prophets of Asherah and 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And you guys know the story that they have this epic face-off between the gods where Ahab and Jezebel, his wicked wife, if you know anything about Jezebel, uh, don't name your daughter Jezebel. If you already did, you might want to start going by the middle name. Jezebel is not a great name in the scriptures, right? Jezebel and Ahab, they send their prophets to go represent their false gods. And Elijah, there he is all alone, all alone representing the Lord God of, of the Bible. And he ensues this standoff, this face-off of the gods to determine who is truly God. Is it Baal, or you may know him as Baal? Uh, is, it, is it him, or is it the Lord God, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the children of Israel? Is, is he God? And so you know the story. They All day long, the prophets of Baal are crying out to their God and cutting themselves and they're praying for Baal to send fire down to light their altar and consume their sacrifice and they're they're pleading with their God and Elijah pokes a little fun at him, right? He says, oh, what is your, is your God preoccupied? Is he busy? Is he taking a nap? Is he going to the bathroom? He's sitting on the toilet too long. Is that what happened to your God? It's basically what Elijah's doing in the language of the day. He's mocking their God because it, it, their gods were making a mockery of the Lord God. The idols they had set up in the land were blasphemous against the Lord. The Lord who had established them as the children of Israel, brought them up out of bondage in Egypt and given them this land graciously. And they were just worshiping these false gods and idols in, right in God's face, unashamedly. And so Elijah's mocking their God and their actions a little bit. And you know the story. They go all day long with no response, no movement. And then Elijah prays to the Lord his God. But before he does, just to prove a point, what does he do, do to, the, to the altar and the sacrifice? He soaks it. Puts a moat around it and fills it with water. And it's just completely soaking wet. So there's no possible other explanation for the fire coming down than that the Lord did it. And he prays, the Lord sends fire. And not only does it consume the sacrifice on the altar, but it even consumes the altar. And the water around and on the altar licks it all up. It's gone vaporized. And they knew, and the people, it says there in chapter 18, the people, when they saw that, they realized, surely this is the Lord. Surely God, he is God, not Baal, not these Baal, not these other false idols, but the Lord, he is God. In chapter 18, it, it tells us. And it, what ensues after that is Elijah, basically, you guys know the punishment for false prophets. And these prophets of Baal were false prophets. In the Old Testament, a false prophet, what was the punishment for a false prophet? It was death. 
And so Elijah basically tells the people when they acknowledge the Lord, he is God, not Baal, not Baals, not all these other these pagan idols, but God is, is the true and living God. Elijah says, don't let any of these false prophets escape. And it tells us that they go and chase them down. Read with me in chapter 18 what takes place here. Sorry, I lost my verse. We're going to need to find it real quick. Maybe find the verse where I'm needing to read. 40, thank you. <laughs> so verse 40, then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. <coughs> Earlier I said prophets in the Old Testament were, were, were not to be trifled with. They were not wimpy guys with incense pans and, and scrolls in their hands. Elijah literally chases down these false prophets and kills them. I mean, how many of you guys have been to Mount Carmel in, in the Holy Land? You've been up on that mountain. You've seen the place. And I remember just being up there and envisioning this great standoff going on on, on top of that mountain and just picturing Elijah with his sword drawn Chasing 450 guys down and just slaying them. Prophets of old were warriors for the Lord. Just like we saw Samuel hacked Agag to pieces this morning. Elijah slew these false prophets. And he has this great victory. The prophets are annihilated. And then in chapter 19, shortly thereafter, this great victory. God has proven that he is the Lord. That Elijah is not a fool, even though he feels like I'm the only prophet standing for the Lord against 450 prophets. You ever feel outnumbered in the world, guys? You ever go to work and feel like I'm outnumbered? Man, I feel like I'm the only guy that's serving Jesus. And all my co-workers, they're doing this and they're talking like that. And they're into the other thing that, man, I just feel like I'm the only one. Elijah felt like that. And God showed himself faithful, proved that he was God. And Elijah should have been on cloud nine and he should have just been just buzzing with positivity. But it says in verse one, now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me. And even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. What happened, Elijah? What in the world is going on? He just took on 450 false prophets and killed them all. And then Jezebel, this woman, threatens him and he runs for his life. He's filled with fear. And it doesn't make sense. When you read the story, it doesn't make sense. And I want to say, when we experience the defeat of the enemy, the discouragement of the enemy, it doesn't make sense. When we look at the whole picture, and sometimes I think we need to do that. We need to step back and look, remember the victory that God has brought. Remember the, the power which he's displayed in our lives to deliver and to prove that he is God. I think that's such an important thing for us to do, to remember often the mighty works of the Lord. The psalmist writes a lot about that, how we need to remember God's mighty acts. We need to Praise God for what he's done. We need to recount them. We need to share them with one another. 
Because we so quickly forget what God has done. The mighty ways he's pulled through for us. And one threatening word or one critical uh, message from someone. And we can just crumble into defeat and discouragement and fear. And like Elijah, run for our lives. And what does he do? He runs away, it says. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So he travels way into the south, into the region of Judah. And it says, verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. A little over dramatic, perhaps, Elijah? I mean, come on. The Lord just brought such a great victory. And this is one of the ways the enemy attacks us, guys. In ways that doesn't make sense. He wants us to be consumed and overwhelmed in the moment. And forget about all God has done and focus on this one statement or one discouraging word or discouraging thing that's right in front of us. And Elijah just swings to this extreme. He says, I just, Lord, just take me now. I just want to die. Why? Because Jezebel said she wants to hurt me. And it really is, guys. It's, it's silly when we look at the whole picture. And yet, when you're in the place that Elijah was, and if you've ever been in that place where Elijah was, you know it doesn't feel silly in the moment. The discouragement, the overwhelming anxiety, perhaps, the feeling of defeat, it doesn't feel silly, and it can be hard to pull yourself out of that. We're going to look at how Elijah did that. But there he is. Lord, just take my life. Just kill me now. I've experienced this. I tell you what, as, as a pastor, being a pastor is not an easy job. Um, a lot of people uh, don't understand the pressures, the expectations, the hardships that come with being a pastor, the, the, the love that you have for the flock. I just want to encourage you guys, thank your pastors often for, for what they do. Show appreciation for them. Um, be understanding with their time and uh, the effort in which they put into communicating the word of God with you or make, make time available to counsel you through a difficult time. Um, pastors don't just walk through those hard times with people and then go home and forget about it. Right, Ira? Right, Josh? Jake? Rory? We, we know these things that when, when you walk through difficult things with you, you carry some of that home with you. And it affects your home life. And it affects your relationship with your family. And there's a heaviness, there's a price that comes with that. Ministry can be really hard. You can pour your heart out into a message that you really feel like was from the Lord. And then a person that has no clue will come up after the message and have a critical word for your teaching and say, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like what you said in this one part of your message. And I tell you what, in that moment, I should be like, I should take it into consideration and realize, you know, this is one person, one comment, one negative word, but I've experienced this. The enemy has tried to use this in my life to where I know God is using his word in people's lives in powerful ways. And then one person has a negative comment and I'm like, oh, I guess I need to quit the ministry. And you know what? I'm probably just not cut out for this. You know, someone else would probably make 
a better pastor of this church than me. I don't even know what I'm doing because of one negative comment from some random person. The enemy wants to capitalize on that, wants to cause that negativity or that that fear or that that threat of something to just echo through your heart and your mind. But we have to remember what God has done. I know for me, guys, when I get discouraged in, in ministry and I feel like, man, maybe it would just be easier to do something else. <laughs> It'd be easier just to work a different job, you know? And I, I, I know I can't do that. And that's because the Lord's calling on my life. And when you know you're called to something, it doesn't matter how difficult, how discouraging, how bummed out you get in it. You know you, that you have to press forward. You have to seek the Lord and let him sustain you through that difficulty, through that depression, through that, that battle of defeat that you're experiencing. You've got to push through. Why? Because God's called you to it. And he's going to carry you through it. And so each one of you guys, maybe you're not called to full-time ministry like I'm talking about, but you're called to be a husband. You're called to be a father. You're called to be ambassadors for Christ. You're called to your place of work, to be a light, to shine to your coworkers, to your boss, to your employees, whatever your position may be. You got to press through and realize I'm called to this. And no matter how difficult it gets, I can't let the enemy bum me out. I can't let him consume my thoughts with this one negative aspect or this comment that was made. The enemy is so tricky. And here, Elijah is just overwhelmed. He's sitting under the juniper trees, just, man, Lord, take my life. I just want to die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, arise, eat. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Sometimes you just need a nap. <laughs> Sometimes when the enemy's attacking, you just need a nap. Don't do anything rash. Don't do anything stupid. Sometimes, Lord, I just need to rest. I'm going to take a nap. I'm just going to, Lord, I'm going to let you sustain me like the angel brings some food and water to drink. Lord, I need your refreshment. I need to open your word. I just need to rest in you. So he ate and drank and lay down again. He took another nap. <laughs> and verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. What is the angel telling him? Elijah, if you're going to make it through this, you've got to eat. You've got to eat the food that I'm providing for you. And guys, in times of trouble, that is when we have to be turning to the word of God. We have to. We can't turn to that bottle. We can't turn to that substance. We can't turn to that hobby. We can't just put all of our time and effort and energy into our job and try to, try to push through. We've got to turn to the Lord. We've got to eat the bread. We've got to rest in him. We've got to eat the bread again, as the angel tells Elijah. And then it says in verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there we know that the Lord encounters Elijah and speaks to him. But what did he do? Immediately after time of defeat, he prayed, he fasted, he went and got away with the Lord by himself. 
But Elijah experienced this great discouragement. These voices in his head that were saying, you know what? Just you, you, you might as well just die. It's not worth going on anymore, Elijah. And we look at how the Lord just used Elijah. Perhaps the most powerful story, wouldn't you agree, that we know of in the life of Elijah? Perhaps one of the most taught and quotable uh, miracles that we saw transpire. This scene on Mount Carmel with the standoff with the prophets of Baal. And yet he's ready to just throw in the towel and, and say, take me to heaven, Lord, I'm done. When we find ourselves in places of defeat like that, how necessary it is to seek the Lord, to pray, to fast. Because the enemy, guys, wants to take us out. And the enemy will whisper things into our hearts, into our minds. Lies of the enemy. It was already said. I think Josh talked about that. But, but he's a deceiver, Satan is. The Bible says he's the father of lies, guys. And we've got to recognize the lies of the enemy that play through our mind. I don't know about you guys. Here's some of the lies that the enemy speaks to me. He'll say, you're the only one that struggles with this sin. Anybody else hear that? Anybody else heard that before? You're the only one that struggles with sin. No one else will understand if you tell them. He says things to me like, if you tell people, they're never going to like you the same again. <laughs> they're not going to respect you like they do now. Those are some of the lies that the enemy tells me, but the enemy, you see, guys, wants to isolate us. He wants us to keep our sin to ourselves. He wants us to, even our wrestlings, in our depression, in our anxiety, that's not necessarily the most manly thing to confess to another brother, right? And say, man, I'm feeling defeated. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm experiencing anxiety. I've got thoughts of self-harm. Man, I just want to kind of end it all. That's not something that men, well, we're tough. We just push through. We just deal with it, Right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Bootstraps. Get her done. Like, let's go. Don't, you know, suck it up. Cupcake, you know. Don't tell me about your problems. I know it's tough, but get through it. Push through. That's, that's, that's the world's motto for men. But guys, for God's men, which is what we're called to be, we're called to lean on each other. We're called to share and open up and be humble with one another. But Satan wants to isolate us. Like he isolated Elijah here. And Elijah felt like, Man, I'm the only one, God, and I'm just tired of fighting alone. Then the Lord met him and revealed to Elijah, Elijah, you're not the only one. In fact, I got 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee to Baal. See, the reality is, you're not alone. You're not the only one that struggles with that sin. You're not the only one that feels deep moments and seasons of depression or discouragement or feeling defeated. There's a lot of other brothers, perhaps, that are going through the same thing as you, if we would just open up. So Elijah experienced that great discouragement after a great victory. And the Lord, thankfully, pulled him out of that deep discouragement. The other example I want to talk about this evening is Peter. And we all know who Peter is. We all love Peter. Perhaps some of us relate to Peter. Anybody in here relate to Peter a bit? Peter was boisterous. Peter was outgoing. Peter was the first to jump in and help and, and speak. And a lot of times that got him in trouble. But I think of Peter. He was well accustomed to great victories and then subsequent great defeats. 
In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, listen to what Jesus, you can flip there, jot it down in your notes, guys. But Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus warns Peter, and he tells him there, Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Jesus warned Peter, Peter, Satan wants to take you out. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Jesus told us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, Peter, Satan wants to wreck you. He wants to destroy you. If he can get you to destroy yourself, he'll convince you to do that. Satan wants to take you out. But here's the good news, guys. Jesus tells Peter, here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to sift you like wheat. But, verse 32, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. Did you know that? Jesus is praying for you. The Bible tells us that he ever lives to what? Make intercession for you and me. That's like Jesus' job, day and night, what? He's just praying on our behalf. Lord, help him. When you're going through that struggle, when you're going through that battle, when you're feeling that overwhelming anxiety and depression, you're having that panic attack, whatever it is that you're experiencing, and perhaps it's right on the heels of a victory, Jesus is saying, Lord, help him. Send, he's sending angels to come and assist you, to bring you bread and water, to bring things to your mind, to sustain you and help you. He's given us tools like the Word of God, like fellowship, like prayer, like fasting. He's given us ammunition, like our sweatshirts show. He's given us ammunition to fire back at the enemy's attacks of discouragement. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Guys, just like he wanted to with Peter. Why is that? Because the enemy knew there was potential in Peter. He knew God had a plan for Peter. He could see it. He's been around long enough to know. And guys, the enemy sees the potential in you and me, how God could use us if we don't fall back, if we don't quit because of discouragement, if we don't throw in the towel and give up. The enemy knows the impact that we could make for the kingdom of God. He knows how, how many people we could influence and share the gospel with and lead to Christ. He knows that. So what? He wants to take us out. If you are a follower of Jesus, Satan can't take you to hell. You're safe from that. I believe that firmly. Satan can't take you to hell. But he can try and make you ineffective. He can try and keep you from helping anyone else get out of hell. He knows he can't change you from going to heaven, but he will make you and try and persuade you and try to cause you to be defeated so much so that you're not in the battle, you're not engaged, and you're not fighting with and for your brothers around you and helping others move toward the kingdom of God. Satan wants to render us inactive. He wants to render us ineffective. He wanted to do that with Peter. But Jesus was praying for Peter. And then what does he say in verse 32? He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When we go through difficulties, our faith is tested. 
some people, their faith is broken. Their faith fails. Jesus knew that was a possibility that, Peter, this is going to, the things you're going to go through, the things you're going to experience, the letdowns, the defeats, the mistakes, the overwhelming shame of your sin, and it's going to test your faith. It's going to test your resolve. But I'm praying for you, Peter. And he says, and you, when once you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus sees beyond the present struggle. Sometimes we get stuck in the moment. We can't see past the thing that's right in front of us, the obstacle, the overwhelming situation, the, the feeling of defeat and discouragement. And perhaps that discouragement is because of our own failure. We can't see past that, but Jesus goes, no, you're going to make it through. This is just a season. This is just a storm. And Satan wants us to act in that moment and do things which have permanent consequences in a situation that is very temporal, that is very passing. And we've got to have the wisdom to listen to God and see that this is going to end. The season is not forever. And he says, when you have returned, Peter, I know this is going to test your resolve. I know the enemy wants to take you out. You're, you're going to go through some hard things. But when you have returned, Jesus has faith in us, even when we don't have faith in ourselves. That's what I read from that verse. Jesus, Peter, you're going to feel like such a failure. You're never going to want to serve me ever again. And we know what Peter did, how he failed, right? Like I said, Peter was not accustomed to failure Peter was the one that, one moment in Matthew 16, remember, Jesus said, who, you know, who do people say that I am? And his disciples, oh, some say you're, you're this prophet or that prophet or you're John the Baptist, you know, and, and okay, that's great. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, profoundly, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, nailed it. you Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but the Father which is in heaven has shown you, yes, you ding, 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 you got it, Peter. And he said to Peter, he said, you are Peter, which means little rock. And then he said, on this big rock in the Greek, I'm going to build my church. Many people believe that was speaking of the statement that Peter just made. You're a little rock, but the big rock is what you just said. What? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that statement, on that foundation of who Christ is, that profession of faith. So here, Peter, you're man, solid rock. Great answer. Rock solid answer. And then just five verses later, Jesus is saying what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. What are you doing? Imagine how Peter must have felt in that moment. Going, yeah, I did something right. I'm a, I'm a rock. Uh, Jesus is going to build his church on me? Maybe he even thought that, that Jesus was referring to him. Oh, man, I'm going to be the foundation of this church. Oh, and he started getting lifted up and pride, overconfident, and then he spoke again, totally in the flesh. And Jesus had to rebuke him and basically say, you're allowing Satan to speak through you right now, Peter. He wasn't literally calling Peter Satan, but... Peter's mouth was being used as an instrument of Satan. And just like we've been talking about with spiritual warfare, the enemy wants to use our bodies for his purposes. He wants 
to use our mouths for reasons of, for causes of division and destruction and shame. Fathers, he wants you to speak in anger towards your kids and frustration and tear them down. Satan wants to use your members of your body, which belong to the Lord, and use them for destructive purposes. But just like Josh talked about earlier, our bodies are neutral. Rather, our souls are neutral. The body and the spirit, there's this wrestling going, going on for how we are used. Are we going to be used by the Lord? Are we going to be used by the enemy? Peter was used by Satan in that moment to speak something, to try and keep Jesus from going to the cross, which is the reason he came for in the first place. And then, of course, we think about another great moment in Peter's experience, his following of Jesus. He walked on water. How could we ever forget that? What a high moment that was for him. As Peter stepped out of the boat, and he's walking on water, doing something no one else had ever done except for Jesus. How would you like to have that on your, you know, have that patch on your coat? You know, like, walked on water. Who else has got that patch? Oh, yeah, nobody. Except for Jesus. Me and Jesus. You know, we're tight. We're in a club. It's just, a, it's just us. No one else is in that club, but just us. Like, he must have felt pretty awesome walking on water. But then shortly thereafter, that feeling of victory must have just turned to defeat. Remember, he sank. He had to cry out like a little girl, Save me, Lord! As he's sinking in the, in the, the sea there. And Jesus has to rescue him. And he must have just sat up on the boat. And that feeling of victory of walking on the water and that great faith that was exercised was probably not overwhelmed by just feeling like a total loser. Like, I was doing so good, and then, man, I just failed in front of everyone. Overwhelming guilt. How the enemy wanted to just lay that on Peter. We think, of course, of how Peter told Jesus when Jesus said to his disciples, hey, they're going to take me. They're going to they're put me to death. And, G and Peter said, when Jesus said, many of you are going to, you're going to go flee. You're going to hide. You know, and Peter said, I'm not me. You know, I'll die for you, Lord. Everyone else might run away, but not me. And I'll give my life for you, Jesus. And then what did Peter end up doing when the rubber met the road? He denied Christ. Three different times Peter denied even knowing that. I don't even blankety know the man, he said, as he cursed even vehemently. That I don't know him. Can you imagine the feeling that Peter must have had? Going from, I'll die for you, to, I don't even know the man, not even willing to associate himself with Jesus. The feeling of shame and guilt and defeat must have been so overwhelming. Jesus knew this. This is, this is why he told Peter beforehand, Satan's going to try and take you out. How easy would it have been for Peter to end up just like Judas? After all, were their downfalls very different from one another? Judas betrayed the Lord, turned him in. Peter denied the Lord, said, I don't even know the man. Both of them, in a sense, turned on the Lord. We know what happened with Judas. He went and hung himself. Satan had his way. In fact, it says when Judas went to betray the Lord, that Satan entered into him. Talking about possession. Satan coming into a person. And personally, I don't believe that Judas was, was saved. We could, maybe Rory or Josh have a different perspective on that. We can talk about that later. It'd be interesting. But 
you know, um, but it literally says Satan entered into Judas and possessed him when he went to betray Jesus. And then, of course, afterward, filled with remorse for what he did, uh, not repentance, but remorse, the Bible says. There was no repentance found in Judas. What's the difference? Remorse is feeling bad for what you did. Man, that was a bad thing I did. Repentance is agreeing with God, changing your thinking. That's what literally the word repentance means. Did you guys know that? The Greek word for repentance in the Bible is metanoia, which means to change one's mind. Peter experienced repentance. He changed his mind, which a change of mind, guys, this is why he's focusing on our minds, what we're putting in our minds, getting the word of God in our minds. The Bible says, wash your mind. You know, having your minds renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, the washing of the water of the word. Man, we've got to, we've got to get the word in our minds. Why? Because, because the mind, guys, is where the enemy is so often, where the battle takes place, where the attacks come. Judas, he was filled with remorse. Peter had that change of mind, repentance in his heart. Jesus prepared him for that. said, Satan's going to try and take you out, Peter, but I'm praying for you. And you're going to come through this. And when you've returned, go, he said, and strengthen your brothers. They're going to need you, Peter. I know you're, you're kind of a, you're a loose cannon, Peter. But either way, you're a leader. You don't always lead rightly or well, but you're, you're willing to jump in there. Some of you guys might relate to that. Like, I don't always know what I'm doing, but I'm willing to jump in and help and, and be, a, be a leader. And I fail sometimes. Maybe you like Peter. God says to him here, Jesus says, strengthen your brothers when this is all said and done. Because you're going to feel like taking your life. And the enemy, that's what the enemy would want, Peter. What if Peter had succumbed to that? What, what if he had, in that moment of feeling such defeat, had taken that route like Judas did? What would he have missed out on? What would have the early church missed out on? We see how Peter was used on the day of Pentecost, right? Preached the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. My goodness, after that, several thousand people get saved. Peter's writing books in the New Testament, right? Being used to share scripture, being used in critical ways in the early church through the book of Acts. Powerful stuff. All that he would have missed out on if he had not heeded the words of the Lord. And Jesus is so good. Remember, after the resurrection, Jesus was there on the, on the shore and he calls out to the boys when they'd gone back to fishing. And he said to Peter and the guys, he said, hey, have you caught anything? <laughs> right? No, we've been out here fishing. Right? We haven't caught anything. Cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they bring in such a big haul. What was it, 153 fish? The nets were breaking. And before I think they could even haul it in the boat, Peter was like, that's Jesus. I know it. That's Jesus. And he jumps in the water, swims to shore, and has that famous talk in John chapter 21 with Jesus. Around the fire, Jesus already got fish cooking, ready. And he begins to have that talk with Peter. And he asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? 
And if you look into and study the Greek language there, the Greek word that Jesus uses for love is agapao, the root word agape. Do you agapao me, Peter? Which agape love is the love with which God has. He loves us. Literally, the Bible says God is love. God is agape. He's the source of it. And God is turning to Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? That is, do you love me with the love that I love you? With agape, agapao love? And Peter, how this must have hurt his heart. Before, he probably would have said, of course I do. I love you. I agape you more than all, of, all these other people. But now he'd been humbled. He'd walked through this defeat. And he had a newfound perspective. And he responded to Jesus and said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's not that agape love that comes from God. It's a brotherly love, a more common love, if you will. He says, Lord, you know I just, I, I like you. I, I'm, I love you like a brother, but I can't say I agape you. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? Oh, you're going to ask me again. Lord, you know, I, I just, I phileo you. Each time when he responded, Jesus' instruction to Peter was what? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And the third time, Jesus asked Peter, he says, Peter, <coughs> do you phileo me? Peter says, Lord, you know I do. You know I phileo you. What does that speak to us? Well, what I see there is that Jesus knows that our love for him is inferior to his love for us. The Lord knows that we don't love him like we should. That we've failed him. That we've faltered. That we've denied him. We've rebelled against him. We've allowed things in our lives that don't remain. We've been filled with pride and thought we were tougher than we were and wiser than we were, more spiritual and powerful than we were, only to fail and fall. And yet the Lord comes to us and he says, I know, I know you don't love me like you should. And it's as if he's conceding with Peter and saying, it's okay, do you phileo me? You know I do, Lord. And then he says once again, then tend to my sheep. Go take care of the sheep, Peter. You failed, but I'm not done with you. And a lot of times as men, guys, we can fall, we can fail, we can struggle with things. And the enemy wants us to be consumed, overwhelmed with the feeling of that failure. And think we can never go back. We can never go back to serving God because of this mistake I made, because of that divorce I went through. Because of that addiction that I've struggled with, I can't ever be used by the Lord again, is what we think in our minds. But let me tell you, that's not the voice of the Lord. Because the Lord tells Peter, I've got more work for you to do, Peter. I know you failed big time. I know you denied me. I mean, that's equivalent to denying the faith. He denied even knowing Jesus. And yet he's saying, all right, now go and lead the church. Go and lead your brother. Strengthen the brothers. Go feed the sheep, Peter. Go be a pastor, what I've called you to do. Yeah, but Lord, I failed. I know. But Peter knew he failed. His pride had now been removed. 
sometimes through those seasons of defeat and discouragement, there's a lesson that we learn. You may ask, why does God let us go through those dark seasons? There's many things in our character that I don't know that can be developed without going through seasons that are dark, that are difficult. It's not in good times that character is built. It's through the rough seasons of life, when you experience loss, when you experience hardship, when you're completely confused and lost and you're having to cry out to God to be your everything, to sustain you, to just help you get out of bed, to just help you make it through another day. Those are the times where your character is being developed. What does James say? He says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? Various trials. Why would he say that? Why would James say count it joy when you encounter different trials of life, temptations, difficulties? Why in the world would he say that? Because it produced character. Those trials produce character in our lives and give us hope and they give us endurance. In essence, they cause us to be drawn closer to Christ in a way that we would not without that hardship. Does that mean God caused that hardship to happen? No. He didn't cause Peter to deny him, did he? Peter did that all on his own. But here's how good God is. He'll take our sin and rebellion and failure. And the enemy wants to use that for evil, right? Like the story of Joseph. <laughs> Just like his brothers meant evil for him. The enemy wants to take those circumstances of our lives, guys, and let them be a cause for evil. To get us to run away from the faith, to want to take our own life, to just want to be done. And God will take that and use it for good and shape our character and make us more like him. Because that's how good he is. The story of the prodigal son tells us something about the father's love for us. You guys know the story. The prodigal son took his father's inheritance, went away into a far country, spent all of the, the father's inheritance, all the blessings the father had given him. He just wasted it, it says, on loose living. He wasted it, man. He just spent it on all the pleasures that the world could offer. You know, booze and women and gambling and whatever things, whatever temporary things that his flesh could could experience. He wasted the father's inheritance. And then one day he realized, man, what in the world am I doing? He's out of money. He's realized, you know, none of this stuff has made me happy or filled my life. And he's feeding pigs and realizing these pigs are eating better than I am. I'm completely destitute. I've spent all the blessings that my father had for me. I wasted it. And here I am. And he finally, it says he came to a census. You might say he hit rock bottom. Any of you guys hit, hit rock bottom before in your life? You got to a low place where you realize, what in the world am I doing? And this thing that I've been allowing in my life has become an addiction, that's become a, a form of bondage, a rebellion against God. I've got nothing left. My joy, my marriage, my whatever, it's all been stripped from me. My kids don't respect me. I've lost, lost my influence. I'm losing money because of this thing. You come to your senses like the prodigal son. The prodigal son said when he came to his senses, here's what I will do. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to my father's house. And here's what he had a whole plan. 
I'm going to say this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm just going to say, Father, if you'll just let me be a servant in your house, you know, I don't expect it much. I don't, I'll, just, I'll just come and I'll sweep the floors. You know, I, I don't need to be restored to the former position. And he came home with that intention. But while he was a long way off, you remember what happened? The father saw him and did what? He ran to him. The father ran to that wayward son that rebelled, that wasted it all. He ran to him, he kissed him, he embraced him. Before the, the son could even explain everything and give the speech he had prepared, so I'll just be a servant in your household. The father said, no, get the best robe and a ring. Man, put shoes on his feet. Man, throw a feast. We're going to have a party because my son is home. He put him back in a place of authority. Restored to him the position that he had prior to his rebellion and running away. Why do I share this? Because like Peter, oh Lord, I like you. I don't think I can ever be used by you again. No, Peter, go tend to my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go take care of the flock, Peter. I know you don't agape me. I know you phileo me, but you know that now. You know that your love for me is not what it could be, what it should be. It's not the same as my love for you. I'm okay with that, Peter. Don't let that keep you from doing what I've called you to do. So much of the time, we'll listen to that voice of the enemy that says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are sharing Scripture with people. I mean, after all, look at the sins you commit. Look at the things you've done. You're not a spiritual man. What do you think? You're going to go home and and lead your wife in a Bible study or in prayer? Come on, give me a break. This is the voice of the enemy. Anybody else hear this this voice in your head? You're not a spiritual leader. Who do you think you are trying to read the Bible to your kids? They're going to laugh at you. They're going to mock you. This is the voice of the enemy. Why? Because he's scared to death. That if we begin to do that, if we will shut out the lies of the enemy and step forward in obedience to the Lord, stop listening to his lies. He has no power over us, guys. The enemy won't have any power over us. And I want to talk about this a little bit tonight as we kind of move on from both Elijah and Peter now, Peter knew that Satan didn't have power over us. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8 that Satan, the devil, he, he prowls around like a what? A roaring lion. He wants to devour us. He wants to take us out. But notice, he's a roaring lion. The enemy can roar really loud. Satan has a loud roar. He can be very convincing. He can be very persuasive. But I do not believe that Satan can have power and control over you and take over and make you and I do things. And he doesn't even need to. All he needs to do is suggest that we do this or do that. And you guys, here's where the power lies. We listen. We give ear to the enemy. And he's also persuasive. And we confuse our own conscience and inner voice with that of the enemy as it bounces around through our minds 
in our ears. We have to recognize when the voice of the enemy is speaking in our ears. Because Satan wants to devour us. But it's not some thing from the outside that's going to take us out. That Satan's going to consume us. How he consumes us is by consuming our thoughts. He gets in our heads, guys. He speaks lies and deceit. He's roaring. He's got a loud roar, but he doesn't have teeth. Paul talks about this. Satan is already defeated, guys. Amen? The Bible says this. Satan, Satan was defeated when Jesus died on the cross. He resurrected from the dead. The power of sin has been broken. I want to read some scriptures. Romans, Romans chapter 6. Flip there, jot it down in your Bibles. You're going to want to read this later for sure. Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us this very thing that the power of sin has been broken. He says in Romans 6, verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul's saying, when Jesus died on the cross, we by faith now are in Christ. Our sin nature, the power that sin has in our lives, it was crucified with Christ. It's dead. Can something that's dead have power over a person? Not physically. Can a person who's dead still have power over a person, though? Think about this. People who have been hurt, people who have been abused, people who have been affected by maybe a family member, even after they're long gone, some people are still carrying around the bondage, the scars, the wounds of that person. So even though the power of sin has been broken, it's been crucified with Christ, Physically, it can't overtake us. Because the Bible tells us that we have power over sin. We don't have to be slaves to sin any longer. To obey the whims of the flesh. Look at verse 14 of chapter 6 of Romans. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Sin is not your master. Our, our flesh is not our master. Satan can't, you know, the devil made me do it, we say. How did that work in the garden, remember? When God came to Adam, oh, the woman you gave me made me do it. And then what does she say? Eve, why did why, you do this? Oh, the devil made me do it. She said, the serpent. He, he made me do it. You can't blame the devil. And ultimately, Satan wasn't the one that carried the blame for that. They were, they were guilty for their own choice. Guys, and what I want to say is we have a choice. When the enemy lies and speaks things into our minds, we have a choice if we're going to give ear to him and his voice and his deceit and his lies, or if we're going to choose to take every thought captive, amen, amen. to the obedience of Christ and say, every thought that I have, every voice I hear in my mind, I need to test it. Is this of God? Is this the Lord's voice? Or is this another voice? Whether that voice is straight from Satan or a demon or my own flesh condemning me, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1 tells us, right? No condemnation. So if I'm feeling I'm hearing condemnation, I'm hearing thoughts that are dark, that are wicked, we need to recognize that that is 
Satan. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 6 of Romans 6, where he says, knowing this, that word knowing this, the King James Version says, reckon, reckon the old man as dead. Reckon it to be. That word means believe it. Believe it to be. You've got to know this in your mind that you're not a slave to sin, that Satan doesn't have power over you. He is a very persuasive enemy. But we have to believe what is true and choose to not believe his lies any longer. I think a lot of us don't believe that we can be set free from sin. I think there's a lot of guys in bondage to sin, wrestling with sin for years and years and decades because they think, I just can't be set free from this. That's wrong thinking. That's unbiblical thinking. The Bible nowhere says, well, Jesus set you free from sin, but you're still going to struggle with this and, and you're going to have to fail at this for life. No. Who the Son has set free, he is free indeed. Amen. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And if you know the truth, you will, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Paul says, we don't need to be slaves to sin anymore. Sin shall not be your master anymore. You're not a slave to your flesh. Everything tells us that we can be victorious. But the lie of the enemy, and I'm not talking about perfection here, okay? I'm not saying that you can be a perfect man. And there are some that teach that, that we can actually attain perfection uh, here and now, this side of heaven. I don't believe that. But I also reject this notion that we don't have control or a choice when it comes to our sin. I think that is a trap and a lie of the enemy. He wants us to feel defeated like we can't overcome it. Why? So that we don't overcome it. If you believe you can't overcome something, guess what? You won't. There's so much power in what we believe, guys. We need to have correct believing of truths. Correct belief is critical, guys, to how we live and whether we live in victory or defeat. If we believe something, we will be living it. How do you know? Well, I, I believe that we can be set free. Well, no, you don't. Well, how do you know I don't believe believe this or that? Because you're not living it. If you believe it, you're going to be living it. You're going to be walking in that thing that you say you believe. And if we believe that we can be set free from sin, guys, then we will walk in that freedom. But if we don't believe we can be set free, we're going to walk in that bondage. We're going to continue to be enslaved and chained to those things that the enemy just wants to keep a grip in our lives, keep that foothold have that demonic influence of darkness. So we walk around in defeat and discouragement. Again, Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is a daily thing for me. I don't know about you guys. But if I'm not daily washing, renewing my mind, it starts, my mind starts thinking things that are Untrue. Paul tells us in Philippians, no, you need to think on the things that are true. But in order to think on the things that are true, we've got to be in the Word. We've we got to listen to the words of Jesus, what He says about us. Otherwise, the enemy's voice will just swirl around your, your head, swirl around your mind. We've got to renew our minds daily. Satan can't take us captive. 
but not by force. I, I don't think Satan can just overtake us against our own will, but he can through persuasion. He can take us captive through persuasion. And if he can get us to believe that he has power over us, then we will be under that power. It's like this. I shared this with a brother, but it's, it's like the Bible says, your chains have been broken. You're not a slave anymore. But many of us still believe we are kind of still a slave. So even though Jesus has broken the chain, we could leave that prison cell. We could go walk in freedom and say no to Satan and say no to that lust of the flesh and say no to that sinful habit and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose differently. I'm going to walk in victory. Not, not my own strength and might and power, but Lord, through your spirit and your word. And I'm, I'm going to seek change, God. And I'm going to ch- seek victory in my life. You can do that, but if you don't believe that you've been set free, it's like the chain's been broken, but you're holding on to the chain still. It, it's like you're not even attached to the wall, but you're, you're holding on to the chain that's attached to the wall. And how silly that is. And if we would just realize the chain's been broken, I can walk away. I I can walk forth in freedom. But I think a lot of us like that excuse. We like the excuse of being able to say, well, I would go free, but I just can't. We like the excuse to be able to say, I would break free of the sin, but I just can't seem to do it. The Lord tells us, no, you've been set free. Somehow that alleviates or removes our responsibility, we think, because that's one of the lies of the enemy. We've got to walk in the Spirit. I believe Josh shared that verse, but walk in the Spirit and you will not, what, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Paul tells us in Galatians. One thing about our flesh, guys, we've got to understand, I think this is another misconception, another Deception, another lie of the enemy, is that our flesh will somehow get better the longer we walk with Christ, the longer we're a Christian, that our flesh is somehow supposed to improve. The longer I'm Christian, my flesh is going to stop wanting sinful things, right? Like, like Jesus is going to deliver me so I don't even want evil things anymore, right? In my flesh. No, your flesh is always going to want evil things. Your flesh is always going to want to party. Your sin nature, that's what we're talking about, your flesh, your body, your sin nature is always going to want to party and sleep around and do things that feel good in the moment but are squandering eternal value and purpose. Your flesh is always going to want those things. God has not called us to reform our flesh. God has not called us to try and change and improve and better our fleshly man or our sin nature. It's always going to want to sin. The key is not improving your flesh. The key is denying your flesh. And guys, that's, again, why praying and fasting is so necessary for us, so critical. Because it's through prayer and fasting specifically that we deny our flesh. And say, flesh, you're not my boss. Flesh, you don't get to tell me what to do. Guys, we need to stop feeding our flesh. What happens when you feed something? It grows. 
When you feed a plant, it grows. When you feed kids, they grow. And they just want to eat more and eat more and eat more. <laughs> and when we feed our flesh, guys, it just grows. It gets stronger and stronger and it demands more feeding and more feeding. Some of us, guys, we need to stop feeding our flesh and start feeding the spirit of God in us that the spirit might be strengthened. Because our, our flesh is way too strong. I just can't overcome my flesh. The temptation is too strong. The temptations of the enemy, they're, they're too great. Well, stop feeding your flesh. Stop watching that jump. Stop spending your time on worldly things. Start spending more time in spiritual things. And ain't nobody got time for that. And no, one, no one's got time for all this spiritual stuff. Guys, we can make time. I was just talking with a brother that said, you know, we've got a lot more time than we think we do. We have a lot more free time than sometimes we we actually reveal. Anybody else find that in the week of prayer and fasting? Like, wow, I've got a lot of open time actually when I'm not watching TV, engaging in social media, checking emails, checking the news, crying and looking at the stock market, <laughs> your 401k or whatever. When I'm not doing all those worldly, fleshly, temporal things, I actually have a lot of time on my hands. We do have time, guys, to press into the Spirit. We just don't make time. We've chosen to spend our time doing other things. Did you know that no one has more time than another in the day? We all are on the same budget. We've all been given the same amount of time. Well, they have time because, no, you have the same amount of time as the next guy. It's how we've chosen to spend our time, guys. And I've found in my life that what's important, I will make time for. You with me? You guys that love to hunt? You sure make time for that, don't you? You guys that love to fish? You make time to go out and fish. Why? Because you enjoy it. You love it. When you tell your wife, sorry, honey, I just don't have time for a date. Ooh. Don't do that. She knows. Even if we don't, she knows if it's important to you, you'll make time for it. It's like we make time for all of our other hobbies. Make time to pour into, to feed the Spirit of God within you. Spiritual things, sow to the Spirit. I believe Josh shared that as well. Don't sow to the flesh, because you will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. Perhaps Roy shared that. I don't know, it's all a blur. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, Paul, a few chapters to the right, says this in verses 12 and 13. So then, brethren, he's talking to the bros here. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Simply put, Paul just says, guys, we don't have to live in our flesh. We have a choice in this. Do you want to walk around in death or do you want to walk around and experience life? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life more abundant. But he's put that ball in our court. You, you can choose. Think of the Old Testament. Choose this day whom you will serve. You know? Moses says to the children of Israel, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. 
Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal. Which do you want to choose? Do you want to choose God's way or do you want to go your own way? Over and over again in Scripture, we have a choice, guys. And when we find that we're enslaved by darkness because we've been listening to the persuasive words of the enemy, we've been held captive in our minds by the lies of the devil, when we find there's dark footholds where demons are active in our lives and oppressing us and influencing our families and, and bringing all sorts of darkness in, we have, I believe, a choice. We have a choice. We can pray and fast. We can open up our Bibles. We can reach out to brothers and say, guys, I need prayer. Man, I'm in a battle right now. The Lord has given us, as we've talked about, spiritual weapons for this warfare. And if we're not using those weapons, God's not to blame. To blame. The devil's not to blame. We're to blame. Like we got to take up the full armor of God. we got to take the weapons of our warfare. We've got to call on brothers for prayer when we're in need. We've got to be vigilant to press into the word and have discipline to get up and seek God early. And if we're not doing those things, no one else is to blame but us. We can't blame demons. Oh, the demons made me do it. The demons are just too strong for me. No, they're not. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, guys, lives in us. The Bible says that through faith, the moment you believe, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And there's no power of darkness that can stand against Him. But we've got to choose. We've got to surrender. We've got to tap into the resources that God has given us. In closing, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24 through 27 is where I want to read. Paul is no stranger, as spiritual as he was, writing some 13 books of the New Testament. Quite a legend, wouldn't you say? The Apostle Paul, wow! The things he wrote about faith and the flesh, he was no stranger to this understanding of the, the war, guys, that we're in. The spiritual warfare. And Paul understood it. He wrestled just like we wrestle. Man, sometimes I do things I don't want to do, and other times I... I, I don't do the things I want to do for the, for the Lord. Oh, wretched man that I am. But I also want to point out there, Paul didn't blame Satan for that, did he? And I think a lot of times I would love that cop out. Oh man, I'm just struggling and I'm, I'm doing things that I want to do because Satan, you know? Satan's just, he's making me do this. I think it is interesting, it's been pointed out, that Satan is, is not God, Amen. He's nothing like God. Amen? Amen. God is omniscient. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is also omnipresent, we say, which means God is everywhere. He's everywhere at once. Satan is not. Satan is not omnipresent. He, he can't be everywhere at once. And I, how many of us are saying on a daily basis, man, Satan's just attacking me. You think Satan has the ability to attack every one of us simultaneously? You know, at the, at the same time, I don't believe he does. I think sometimes we give Satan too much credit. Sometimes we're, we use Satan as a cop-out for our own sinful tendencies. 
for our own lustful desires. And we want to blame it on him. Say, oh man, it's Satan. Yeah, he's just on my back. Maybe it's another demonic influence. Or maybe it's our own sinful flesh, like James says, that we're enticed by our own lusts and lead us into sin. Paul knew this. He experienced this. Oh, I do things I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am. I'm a wretched sinner. <laughs> That's the problem. Man, sometimes I'm not equipped. I'm not in the spirit. There's where the spiritual warfare. And sometimes the battle is raging. And sometimes the battles we encounter are intense. You guys ever go through more intense seasons of struggle and attack than other seasons? And why is that? Why is that happening? Perhaps the enemy knows something that's coming. Perhaps he sees the potential. He sees the things God's doing in your life. He knows you're on the cusp of a breakthrough. You're, you're, you're just about to lead a, a, a buddy to Christ. And he's, he's coming hard after you. Why? Because you're threatening his domain of darkness. His kingdom of darkness. So he's coming after you. Paul, Paul experienced this. He knew this. There in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win, he says. Run in such a way that you may win. Guys, are we running to win? Or are we just kind of like, yeah, I'm in the race, and you know, it's okay if I kind of come in in the middle of the pack. You know, I know I'm not as holy as I could be, or as, as I see that guy's running pretty hard over there, but I'm kind of content right where I'm at. Paul's like, no. I don't know about you guys, I'm pretty competitive. I think the Lord solved that, some of that recently. I just had back surgery in, in December, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not even 40 yet. I had back surgery already. And so part of that is like, I'm learning not to be so competitive, but as men, we're competitive. And when I hear that there's a race, I'm like, I want to win. There's a race. I don't care if it's a sack race. In fact, two years ago at a harvest party, <laughs> we had a sack race. Bunch of us guys from the church out there, the pumpkin patch. A couple of family in our church owns this big pumpkin patch up the river. We had the, the potato sack races, you know, and oh man, I'm competitive. So myself and our associate pastor, my buddy Matt Myers, uh, he's quick too. He's beat me in foot races on a number of occasions. Um, but we're in the sack race together and just, you know, 40-yard sack race. I mean, have you ever done that before? And I was not wearing the right shoes, let me tell you. I was wearing Doc Martens. You know how thick those soles are? Holy cow. And I'm hopping along the sack race, and right at the end, I can tell he's just ahead of me. And so I just all out, you know, launch my body through the air. Well, what I didn't do is let go of the sack. And so I just came straight down on my shoulder on the ground. In full speed hop, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not 20 anymore. And I landed on my shoulder, broke my AC joint, almost passed out when I stood up. I was like, oh, I think I broke something, you know. I'm a little competitive. So when I hear there's a race, I don't care if it's a sack race, three-legged race, sprint, marathon, I want to win. Whatever this, you know, ping pong, let's go. You know. If it's involving competition. Paul understood that. Guys, as men, we're competitive. He says, guys, we should be running this race to win. There's rewards. Do you guys know that? Jesus is handing out rewards when we get to heaven. 
And, and I'm, I'm hoping to get them all. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that selfishly or because I think I'm needy, but I want them all. You with me? If, if there's prizes getting handed out in heaven, I want those prizes. Even when I'm comp- competing in some lame game and there's a dumb, ex- dumb reward, I want that reward. But heavenly rewards, like God's giving out prizes, you know they're going to be good. Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Because I don't want to get disqualified from this race, but from being a bonehead, from being an idiot. And I don't want to get sidelined. I don't want to get taken out of the race early. He says, I want to run the race to win. But in order to do so, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take self-control. It's going to take a focus and an aim. Guys, we've got to keep our eyes on the finish line, right? That's what they tell sprinters. Don't look around who's running next to you. You know, stay in your lane. Keep your eyes straight forward. And run with all you've got towards that finish line. Paul says, we've got to have discipline. He says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. Too many of us guys are slaves to our body. Too many of us are slaves to the desires, to the appetites of our body. Again, that's why fasting, I'm so excited. There's so many churches engaging in fasting. I believe it truly is a lost weapon of our warfare that the modern church, the American church at least, has completely misplaced and forgotten about. I know guys in our church, that I've been a Christian for 40 years going to churches and I've never, I've never even heard a teaching about fasting and I've never fasted my whole life. I have a guy that's almost 60 and he's been in Calvary chapels his whole life. He's like, I've never fasted. I've never actually done this. And he did it this year. He's like, wow, this was amazing. Never experienced anything like it. We're disciplining our body. We're saying, body, you're my slave. I'm not a slave to you. I'm not a slave to my physical appetites of food, my sexual appetites. I'm not a slave to the things that my body desires after. I tell my body what it gets, was Paul's attitude, guys. And we as men of God, we need to grow in that discipline of our lives. Our body can be controlled by either our flesh or by the spirit. we got to train it if we want to win the prize, guys. Because the flesh is out to get us. Satan and his demons are out to get us. You might say the world's out to get us. There's sin and there's temptation and there's distractions and things all around us. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why should we be looking to that? Because it tells us that Jesus 
He set an example for us. It involved suffering. It involved hardship. It involved betrayal. It involved letdown. It involved pain. It involved physical affliction. It involved being deserted by all those that he loved. It involved being completely and utterly alone. Remember he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt like, where, is, where are you, Lord? Where did you go, God? I'm in a dark place. And as, as alone as you have felt in those darkest moments, you're not as alone as Jesus felt on that cross. Where literally the Father turned away, could not look at him. He was completely and utterly alone when he took on the sin of you and me and died for it on the cross. We're to keep our eyes. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's our example. He's the forerunner. He's, he's the one that's gone before us. We've got to look to him. And what did that result in? Now he's seated in heaven. Guys, we've got to keep our eyes on heaven. Look forward to the prize. Don't get stuck right here and now. Paul says these momentary light afflictions that we're going through, they're not to be compared with what? Eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory that's going to be revealed. One day, guys, it's all going to be worth it. The suffering, the pain, the sacrifice, the discipline, taking bold steps of faith, taking risks, having, having friendships risked because, man, I'm going to share Christ with them. They might not like me after this. It's totally worth it. I would much rather lose a friendship. I would much rather risk losing a friendship by sharing the gospel with a person then try to maintain a relationship and a friendship and not share the gospel and have that person end up in hell. And we got to keep our eyes on the price. We can't live according to the temporal, according to the now, according to the present. Guys, Satan wants to enslave us. He wants to keep us in bondage. He wants to persuade us with everything he's got. But guys, the power has been broken. We have been set free. Do you believe it? We can walk in freedom. But it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to happen. We've got to discipline. We've got to engage in prayer and fasting. We've got to come to men's musters. We've got to be in the word day. We've got to stay in fellowship at church. We've got to keep pressing forward. And if we pull back, the enemy, he's going to get that foothold. And our life is going to be reeking and wrecked with havoc and bondage and darkness of the enemy. Yeah, but we've been set free by Jesus, so I'm free now, right? Yes, you're set free. And eternally, you're going to go be with him, and you're free from the penalty of your sin. But practically, we have a choice whether to walk in sin, be slaves to sin, or be slaves to the Lord, serving Christ. Amen? You agree with that? Let's close in prayer as Rory come up and... Oh God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the, the hope that you've given us, Lord, that we are not powerless, but the enemy, Lord, in our flesh has been rendered powerless, Lord. Literally, that word means been paralyzed. God, our flesh has been paralyzed. It has no control over us anymore, Lord. That is no more control than we give to it. Lord, help us to believe what is true. Help us to believe what is right. Help us to have correct thinking. To have correct theology, Lord, in these things. Um, Lord, you want us to be set free. God, we thank you so much. I pray that tonight, Lord, if there's any men that have been 
believing a lie. They're hanging on to a broken chain. And they're just holding on to that chain. It's connected to the wall, Lord, but it's broken in the middle. They're, they, but they're not believing that they're set free. Lord, would you set them free tonight? I pray tonight would be the night to say, Lord, I believe you set me free. And I'm going to start listening to your voice and your word and what you say. And, and not, not the twisted voice that floats around my mind, around my head, Lord. So I surrender to you, Lord, tonight. And as we're just getting ready to worship and spend some time just, just thanking Jesus and inviting his spirit in this time of worship. And I just want to encourage you, if any of you guys need prayer for anything, I'm going to be up front here. Roy's going to be leading worship, but perhaps some other of the pastors can, can come down as well. And man, if you need prayer for something specific, there's an area of your life we want to battle with you. Prayer is one of the weapons of our warfare that God has given to us. And it is powerful, these spiritual weapons, in what? Pulling down strongholds. If there's a stronghold in your life, you want to see broken, you want to see dismantled, would you come up, would you get prayer this evening and say, I want to walk in freedom and I'm not listening to the enemy's lies any longer. Lord, would you set people free here tonight? Would you set men free, Lord? Would you give us discernment to know your voice, Lord, and not confuse it with the voice of the enemy? Have your way, Lord. Lord, I pray if anyone's just held back by fear, anyone's held back by doubt, perhaps someone's held back by anger or frustration, Lord, because they've struggled so long. I pray, God, they would surrender that tonight. They would just see that you are God, you are good, Lord. In the garden, Satan questioned whether you were good, God. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would not question your goodness. Lord, we would see that you are good. Believe it, Lord. The enemy wants us to doubt your goodness, Lord. So we will stay far from you, Lord. So we can't think that we can trust you. Oh, Lord, we can trust you. You proved it. You showed us your love on that cross, Lord. You gave it all for us. So that we could just live with you eternally, Lord, and be made one with you, Lord. You're so good. So correct that thinking here tonight, Lord, as well. Just surrender to you, Lord. We ask you to transform us by the renewing of our minds, Lord. We, we repent, Lord. We change our thinking. We, re we repent and alter, Lord, the way we think about things, Lord, if it's not in line with your word, with your scripture, Lord, how we need that. Wash us, Lord, tonight as we worship and we praise. Just be here now, Lord.
This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how.
So I was just thinking as Daniel was teaching, had this big muster about like, all right, you know the enemy is out there. All right, we're like kind of getting a handle on his tactics. Oh man, we've been a little bit blind and we've kind of been chalking up a lot of the dark stuff that's been happening to, you know, mental illness and drugs and, you know, even the flesh in the world. But man, there's, there's actually like spiritual forces and darkness and principalities and powers that like the Lord wants us to go to battle against. And I was just thinking as Daniel was talking, like, do you think the enemy knows about this going on up here? Yeah. <laughs> And then I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> I was like, man, what do you think? Um, I was thinking about this facility. This facility used to be a troubled youth, like, um, you know, camp for troubled youth. I know some people that went to it when they were kids, when they were teenagers. And I was just thinking about, man, what do you think, all that we're learning about, what do you think the level of, like, spiritual darkness was going on here in the youth's life that we're guys like, and this place has seen some things. And I was like, but you know what? Check it out. This place is being used now as a place to, like, equip the soldiers of God to go back down into the battle, you know? But I did just have a re- kind of a reality check about, like, even just thinking about maybe what's going on in our lives and maybe some of the demonic attachments and places that have been given over and footholds and like those guys that are kind of fully in right now and those enemies that are like running away or like if you've read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, you know, they're like, you wouldn't believe what's going on out there. You know, the muster, they're calling it a muster. They don't even call it a retreat anymore. They're like changing the names and stuff, you know? What do we do? They have bullets on the back of their sweatshirts, you know? <laughs> Yeah, how offensive. But I was just like, you know what? Like, now the enemy knows. Like, and there's going to be some attack. And guys, we've got to listen to the words of the preachers this weekend. We cannot go back down status quo. Those days are over. Like, unless you want to get, like, walloped in the trenches. Don't, don't go that way. We've got to stick together. We've got to stay this band of brothers that is going to fight in the battle together and be there for each other and check in on each other and share our struggles and if they're flanking us on the right we've got to be like we're getting flanked on the right you know if they've taken our back if they've come behind us you know if they fixed us with their guns we've got to be like i'm pinned down you know we've got to be that for each other and we've got to go to battle for each other and if you are one that this weekend you know that there's like some footholds and strongholds like Man, you've got to resolve in your heart that you're done with that. And you've got to come forward for prayer. You've got to meet with the pastor and elder. Or you've got to reach out to the friend that brought you and be like, I need deliverance. This has got to end. And um, you're going to get whooped up on when you go back down the mountain. And so um, let's just resolve that we are going to fight these battles biblically, right? And so uh, we're going to kind of close out with our anthem song of the week. It's on your sweatshirts and... uh, uh, we've sung it a few times, but it is about uh, we know who this battle belongs to. So, uh, let's just one final song of the battle belongs as we wrap up this evening.
just their idols and just um, just an incredible revival begins to spread across Germany through what was a two-year just it was so scary for this guy and he's just like what is going on they're like moving her from house to house she's like going to church and everyone's kind of like I think we're done I think we're done and then she goes home that night and like the house is like moving around basically with just the darkness that's going on but the the people like came together and praying and fasting and finally there was uh, that battle cry from the from the enemy the, the, the cry of defeat that Jesus is victor and I think that's our battle cry for our for our offense is Jesus is victor like let that be the cry that comes from our mouth when we are in the midst of the t- temptation to lust or to get drunk or to get you know high or to you know cheat on our wives whatever it's just like Jesus is victor Jesus is victor like he wins, he won, he's gonna win it all. Okay, let's let that be our cry as we go uh, back down the mountain. Amen. Amen. Jesus is Victor. Uh, so just a couple housekeeping things before we go. Um, we have a whole box of large sweatshirts. So if anybody didn't get a sweatshirt, needs a large, uh, we've got those available. Um, if you're a double X or a triple XL and you would like something like that. Uh, we actually have a bunch of extras from our soccer season print job, and we have tons of extra of the logos, and we can get those um, to you pretty soon. And if you'd like a sweatshirt, you didn't get one, uh, just let me know. We can order some sweatshirts and get those to you as well, if that's something that you'd like. Um, another housekeeping, that wasn't really housekeeping, but this is more housekeeping. Um, if you guys can help me, I've got to leave first thing in the morning to get back down there and get things ready for church and stuff. And so I'm not going to really be able to kind of like do that morning sweep, you know, where we just make sure all of our lost and found stuff is taken back to town with us. And we're just making sure all our pop cans are, you know, tossed or whatever it is they want to do with them. All the coffee cups and cups and just everything. We just kind of make sure. I always love, my rule is always, let's leave the place better than when we found it, you know. And so let's just bless them where they want to have us back um, uh, as far as that goes. And then. Lindsay's aunt, uh, Sharon, she, her and her husband go to the First Baptist Church in town, and so they're friends with um, John and Sheree here up at the camp, and uh, they were serving us this weekend, and she just came up and just teasing and stuff, and she's like, okay, so make sure you leave all your cabins clean, because I'm the cleaning crew tomorrow. I do that so sad, you know. So maybe as you're just kind of a cabin leader, all those cabin leaders and, and just anyone that can just help your cabin leader out, just make sure when you close that door tomorrow, just all your stuff's clean and um, any garbage is picked up, put it in the garbage can. And then the bathroom, just give it a wipe down, you know? If there's any mud that came off your shoes or your boots, just kind of get that swept out and whatnot. Let's just leave our cabins better, you know, just all that. Make sure there's no garbage in the gym. Maybe someone could do a gym sweep and just a, it says we're walking out tomorrow, property sweep. And um, is anybody going to be here tomorrow? Like, you're going to be here tomorrow, but you don't have to leave early to get back to church. You're just kind of here. And so uh, who is that back there? I can't see very far. So the calls. Awesome. The call brothers. Would you guys kind of be the last guys off the battlefield? Have you seen We Were Soldiers and Mel Gibson? You know, he's the last guy to step onto the helicopter heading out of there. Could you guys be Mel Gibson for me tomorrow? Oh, that would be awesome. Cool. Julia's like, you told me you'd be back early, you know? <laughs> that's, our, that's our other battle cry. Too bad, so sad. <laughs> um, uh, so there's all of that. 
Man, guys, just so blessed to be with you. It's 10 o'clock, you know. I just uh, I just wish we had another day together. I think we could pull it off. This is what Peter felt like on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, he's just yeah. in the presence of the glory of the Lord. He's like, I got an idea. Just hear me out. What if we built a Christian conference center? You know? With like right here. Some right living here. rooms from the 70s, you know, with like a fire. Yeah. Jesus is like, oh, Peter. Same time, suit you like weep so bad. <laughs> what did I say? Yeah, what did I say? Um, I think those were the main um, housekeeping things. Um, yeah. Maybe call brothers, but you also maybe right now, since you're so strong, go get the sweatshirt boxes out of that gym over there and bring them into this room because I'm like, I'm going to forget those things. That'd be awesome. And the boxes. They'll be in the store for next time. All right, you guys. Man, um, hopefully, if you're kind of new to the group, hopefully you made some friends. If you're still just like, man, I'm just, I really am longing for some friendships. And I just, the whole week, I kind of put myself out here and I still feel like I've made any friends. And like, that's not our heart at all. Nobody wanted to leave you out or anything like that. And, and I'd love to just kind of loop you right on in and just introduce you to some people that I just know would be a good, fast friend to you. Um, it was just such a blast being with you guys. How was the basketball game today? Was it just like epic? It was last year. I saw it last year. You don't even want to know what happened up at the shooting range. It was like pew 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 pow pow. Dear ARs, pistolas, shotguns. We were living the OK Corral up there. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Fire zone. We were pretending the targets were safe. Like, Die. Uh, uh, but uh, okay. You guys hang out. I think there's some snackies left <laughs> in the atrium. And uh, yeah, enjoy each other. Enjoy being together. Right on. God bless you guys. Awesome. If you need any prayer still, come on up. Just get the prayer time with us. We're here for that. Oh. Let's give Daniel a hand. Oh, by the way, the retreat's not over. Tomorrow, Daniel is meeting at church.
Yeah, they had two direct boxes that are already sitting up 